0: Read Smart, the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction podcast. This podcast is generously supported by the Blavatnik Family Foundation. Welcome to Read Smart, the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction's official podcast. I'm Razia Iqbal, journalist, broadcaster, and your host for today. In our second episode to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Bailey Gifford Prize, we're exploring the prize's history and how the world of nonfiction has evolved since its inception. I'll be talking to two of the former chairs of judges, Caroline Sanderson and Andrew Holgate, about what makes the prize special, how they hope to see it change in the future. Andrew Holgate, chair of judges for the prize in 2021, when Patrick Radden Keefe's Empire of Pain was the winner. He was the literary editor of the Sunday Times for more than a decade before recently stepping back and is an honorary fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. Caroline Sanderson was the most recent chair of judges when Catherine Rundell's Super Infinite won the 2022 prize. She is also associate editor of The Bookseller, having previewed non-fiction for them for many years and is the author of five non-fiction books herself, including biographies of Jane Austen and the singer Adele. As always, we are immensely grateful to the Blavatnik Family Foundation for its generous sponsorship of this podcast. Thank you both, Caroline and Andrew, for coming on today to talk about the prize and its illustrious past and perhaps what you think it might be like in the future. Now, this is this is a conversation that i really feel like i'm allowed to contribute to because this part of it anyway because it's about what it's like judging the prize and i was a judge back in 2017 when david france won the prize um and and i wonder whether we can start by just talking about the things that really worry us about judging prizes
1: oh um (laughs) being made to look an idiot, uh, about at the end of the whole process, you put a lot of work into it. And, um, and then you worry, you always worry that you haven't got the right choice and that there'll be, you know, people will never say to your face, that was a terrible choice, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, behind your back, you may, uh, you may, uh, have that going on. Um, so there is always that worry. There is always also the worry just of finding, um, the, the book that really grabs you and you think, yup, that's gonna be it. You know, we, we in the course of uh, the process, we read a huge amount of books. And I've always found in almost every prize I've done, there are only ever about three or four books that really you think, yup, that's it. You know, whatever prize it is and whatever level. Uh, and there is always an anxiety until you fi- begin to find those books.
0: That is interesting. Three or four, two or, yeah, that's incredible.
1: I, I always because it's whatever level the winner sets, uh, you judge everything by that from that you know by that level. Um, so um, the so I've been in other prizes where you know the the judges have said to me, well, you know, God, it, uh, and you just say it's just it's natural. That's what happens.
0: Caroline, what about you? I mean, the, the uh, it, it's odd for me to start with anxiety, but the reason I do so is that I. I feel like it is an enormous responsibility and I'm quite anxious about being decisive about things that I think are the best because there's so much brilliant writing. And I think that's what informs me that anxiety is to do with, wow, we're kind of sometimes not even judging like for like.
2: I understand that anxiety completely. And yes, of course, I felt it. You know, it's it's a it's a wonderful responsibility, but a responsibility Nevertheless, um, I think I was very lucky last year because we had in Super Infinite by Catherine Rundle, a book that every single judge absolutely adored. And the consensus in the final meeting was, was huge. I mean, we decided in 10 minutes. So I think I was lucky that there wasn't that sense of a real tussle and goodness, you know, Which book are we going to go for? And then when we decided, have we chosen the right one? I think I'm quite accustomed to having all the years that I've been previewing nonfiction for the bookseller. Uh, I mean, every, I suppose it's not quite like Andrew's pages where he's got a number of reviewers contributing and different voices. You know, I'm lucky enough to have this incredible opportunity to highlight nonfiction that I really love. And so I, I suppose I'm used to this idea that, whilst judging is, um, it's a stage by stage process, and that people with different worldviews and experiences are involved, you you can get this sort of consensus. And I I guess, I guess I've grown over the years to be quite comfortable with that idea that, you know, the the, the best books sort of rise to the surface, I really do think that they do. And and, and then I see this consensus. Um, But also that, I suppose I've earned my spurs a little bit, you know, and, and actually that's what I do. I try and find the best, best books that I can. And I do feel evangelical about those best books. So although the anxiety is there, it's a massive ple- pleasure, it's a massive pleasure to, to, to just cry these books from the rooftops because you love them, because you want other people to know about them.
1: I totally agree with that. I, I also, I think just in terms of anxiety as well, I think what you're always presented with is you're going into a room to uh, sort of display your judgment to, um, and you're quite vulnerable when you do it, with five people or four people you don't know. And um, and there is always uh, anticipation and some nerves about what the the other judges uh, will be like, and what their uh, worldview will be, and whether it aligns with yours, and uh, and if you'll come to an accommodation, particularly you nerve know, nerve making if you when you're the chair, and hoping that um, you know you will all uh, be rowing in the same direction.
0: We we've alluded to it a little in this first answer about anxieties because it, it the role of literary prizes, of course, is is super, super important. Increasingly, there are more and more prizes. I, I wonder, Caroline, if you will just reflect for us on on why they're important, because although there are sometimes books that do get away and, and prize judge, juries will overlook some books that go on to do quite well, I'm sure that has happened, or they're shortlisted and they don't win and they do just as well as the winner or something. But I, I just wonder about the role of prizes in, in our culture, because there are lots of them, and some people think that they're not particularly valuable i mean my, my view is that they are extraordinarily valuable, not least because there's so much choice, and that they do present us with, if you like, a kind of premier league of that, that guides us
2: yes i I agree with that. I think they're hugely valuable i mean in in a way, if you take a step back and you think about the process of judging a prize it's a slightly crazy exercise, because the books that are chosen are only a function of the people who are judging it. And it sometimes astonishes me that people sort of say, oh, that book should have won. Because with a different set of people and on a different day, that book might have won. So it's a, it's a very personal thing. Uh, e- each verdict is a personal verdict in a way. But then it's 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 rooted in that expertise that we've talked about. So it's the nearest you can get to, as it were, you know, uh, the sort of excellence. And and that's been tried and tested by people who read a lot. Um, So I think they're hugely valuable. And I, I know from research that the booksellers done in the past that, you know, these sort of curated... Um, I know some people sort of hate using that word, but I think it's sort of appropriate in this case. These kind of curated selections of, you know, what to look out for each month—in my case—are tremendously useful for people because, as we all know, there are many thousands of books published each year, and for we have to remember people outside our sort of literary world. You know, people in bookshops. Bookshops are obviously very good at, at putting, you know, great books on display and drawing people's attention to them. But, you know, just helping people make informed choices um, and prizes are, are brilliant at that. And while you say there are a lot of prizes, I mean, actually we've lost two or three quite key prizes over the last year. And so there aren't that many prizes for excellence in nonfiction and particularly some narrative nonfiction. And so I think that's just given the Bailey Gifford even more of an importance.
0: And Andrew, you've been—it's uh, you know arguably a really important gatekeeper, tastemaker for very uh, for a very long time as the literary editor at the Sunday Times. I mean, I, ju- I just wonder about the in the context of your experience as a literary editor, the the value of prizes and this one in particular. I, I,
1: I, huge, hugely valuable. I, I think what we—the uh, big elephant in the room here—is that uh, we are it's a declining or it's a shrinking literary culture, a media literary culture within which we're operating. That There are, uh, there's less space being given to uh, books, pages. Um, uh, you know, there's no, there's not much uh, in the way of coverage on the uh, tele- television. So I think prizes have a, have a, have a very, very significant uh, uh, role to play. I personally feel that, um, there are possibly too many prizes that, that, that it, it means that there's a lack of definition, but I think uh, for the, the, Bailey Gifford is an outstanding uh, and had always been an outstanding arbiter uh, of um, nonfiction and the, and the best in nonfiction. And it is also, interestingly, just looking down this list, it's also shown over the years, changing uh, tastes. Uh, it's very accurately uh, reflected those. And um, so um yes, I, I, I think uh overall uh, literary prizes are hugely valuable to uh to the culture, the literary culture.
0: I, I wonder if I can get both of you to think about the, the year that you were you were chairs um for the prize. And I, I the the context I'm really thinking about is British long form narrative, non fiction and American because in your year um, Andrew, an American one, and it was a kind of really important piece of journalism. And in, in yours, Caroline, it was a, a a young, very young, unbelievably smart uh, British academic who who won on a subject that lots of people might argue was hugely obscure for a kind of largely lay audience, John Donne and his life, but, but actually the most accessible book I've read in such a long time, given the subject matter. Caroline, do you want to go first? The difference between British and American narrative nonfiction?
2: Gosh, well, uh, I suppose I don't feel so qualified to talk about the American American view. Well, I guess what, what I think, what I was thinking when you were talking about that, Razia, was that <sighs> the best books are, are, they couldn't be anything else. I suppose, is what I mean, because you sometimes read books where narrative nonfiction books where you think, actually, this is a sort of stretched long form article. And obviously that long form journalism uh, discipline has been very important and influential. And there are extraordinary books that have come out of it. Empire of Pain being a very notable example I think that writing a book and writing that kind of long-form journalism is still a different discipline. And also writing in an academic way is obviously a different discipline. I think what those winners of the prize that you've mentioned, well, we've mentioned Empire of Pain and Super Infinite show you, is that writing a nonfiction book for a a general audience, for you and me, uh, is a very, very different and very accomplished skill and it's it's not necessarily given to those who are academics or those who are journalists however accomplished um it, it it's a different thing again so whilst those things have been influential when you listen to Catherine Rundle talking about how long it took her to take what was essentially her academic specialism and turn it into a book for as, as you so beautifully put it you know uh, this this book which is so accessible and just glorious to read you know that's a very special talent and I think that's what I love to see the Bailey Gifford rewarding now obviously a lot of the winners are underpinned by amazing academic study and long careers in journalism but we're talking about books when we're talking about books we're talking about something else again.
0: I, I suppose part of what informed that question, uh, Andrew, was really to do with the kind of long tradition of really quite stellar uh, nonfiction that has come out of America. You know, if you look at I don't know Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal and Joan Didion and you know people like that, and 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 I suppose I was just thinking, is there is there a kind of distinctly different kind of writing and place that american and british authors
1: have when it comes to nonfiction that's hard and i'm not sure how many how much you can generalize i would say about patrick radden 2021 book empire pain that began as a piece of long-form journalism and uh but he was afforded the space to explore that and then the time afterwards to really investigate it that he, I don't think there are those sort of spaces in the UK, you know, in terms of uh, media outlets, and and uh, and I think that's hugely important to uh, American uh, modern American um, nonfiction writing. And I think there are a couple of there's an example on your long list uh, last year, Caroline, which completely escapes me now, um, but that was came from a similar sort of um, uh, background. If I was being mischievous, I would say that the. Is that the Americans can be hugely uh, impressive and thorough and sonorous um, and uh, let's leave Didion aside, uh, uh, possibly on on that and um, and Vidal, but um, that there is a mischief to some of the British uh, writers. Certainly, just looking down this list, so Craig Brown's um, 2020 1 2 3 4. That is a series of. 100 sort of not quite impressionist essays, but sort of semi-impressionist essays about the um, the uh, the Beatles that 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 sort of um, amount to and build into a, a portrait of of them as a whole. And if you look back at um, uh, Like a Fiery Elephant by Jonathan Coe, that's a similarly experimental and sort of freewheeling uh, biography of Johnson that begins with a straight biography. Uh, and ends with a series just of of interviews, um, sort of paragraph-long um, extracts of interviews with people who knew him. So you could argue that uh, there's something... Lucy Hughes Hallett's The Pike as well, which is an absolutely brilliant uh, book about uh, Danuncio. Um, and uh, that has, uh, I think, the second chapter is just called sightse- Sightseeing, which is just a series of... Uh, uh, times when he, you know, jumping around from one year to another uh, and capturing uh, Danuncio at various points in his life. Now, I'm sure American uh, writers uh, have done this sort of thing, but it, it doesn't feel it feels possibly not an accident that those writers who have done it for the Bailey Gifford winners are all British.
0: Mm, really interesting. So, so this prize is twenty five years old. Started in its first incarnation as the Samuel Johnson Prize, and now, for some years, the Bailey Gifford Prize. In that time, I mean, I, I think you've both probably read a fair few of the shortlisted books, as well as the uh, as well as the winning ones. Uh, do you think that there is now a kind of greater focus on? On the literary quality, as opposed to something that you know, something new that they've brought us, uh, and 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 also, is it more inclusive now? I mean, I think last year, or was it last year, Caroline, that there were five out of five out of the six on the shortlist were women writers?
2: They were very proud of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yes, because uh, I I think um, recent research by the Women's Prize showed that um, you know, in terms of the coverage of women writing nonfiction, still lagging horribly behind uh, coverage of nonfiction written by men. And I've seen this myself in bookshops, you know, there's still this prevailing myth that nonfiction is more of a, a male thing. So in that context, i was very pleased with our shortlist, although I will point out that it emerged entirely organically. You know, there was, you know, didn't set out with that mission to make sure more women were, rec- were recognised. But you know, I, I, I read a tremendous amount of terrific nonfiction by women and uh, I know it's out there. So it's wonderful to have the chance to 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 recognize it.
0: Do you think that the the introduction now by the Women's Prize of a, of a prize for nonfiction is is going to I don't know what? Let me ask you in a much more open question. What do you think that'll do to say the Bailey Gifford?
2: It won't do anything to the Bailey Gifford. I mean, I I feel that, you know, nonfiction is such an expansive, you know, territory that, you know, the fact that there's another prize. I mean, hurrah. I I don't think it needs to do anything to the Bailey Gifford. I mean, it'd be interesting, as it always is, to see which books different prize you know judges go for and different panels go for and sometimes you see consensus and quite often you see very different shortlists as as I said before you know it, it is only a, a reflection of who was in the room judging at that particular time but that's kind of wonderful you know the more more shortlisted and and let's not forget that shortlisted books are hugely important as well you know um you know the more shortlisted and winning books that we have the 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 better in a way, and if that's recognizing um women writers of nonfiction then that's that's a extremely good thing in my view
0: uh, Andrew, what do you think about the the kind of greater focus on literary quality as
1: well as the more inclusivity um yes i I, I think so uh and it's noticeable that um two out of the last four years have been won by uh women uh female writers um Yes, I think if you look back to the beginning, so uh, uh, 1999 was Stalingrad by Anthony Beaver, Uh, 2000 was Berlioz by David Cairns, 2001, The Third Reich and New History by Michael Burley. Those were awards honouring academic uh, achievement as much as anything else, I suspect. Um, I think there is much more uh, interest in... Literary qualities in originality as well. Now, I think there is a restlessness in, and I think this prize really charts that restlessness. Um, and that sort of you could almost call it an impatience of uh, of the old, um, you know, standard forms. So, you very, I, I if we get uh, a, a book winning, uh, a biography that wins, uh, in the future. That begins with someone's great grandfather and ends with their death. Uh, I will be uh, quite surprised. But um, you know, <laughs> um, so uh, I think I think I think it's originality uh, and quality of writing, and uh, which seem to me to be the things that. Um, both of subject and of execution, that people uh, and judges uh, and the literary culture in general is focusing on.
0: Uh, OK, that's really interesting. So the kind of conventionality of uh, writing a biography receding. Do you think that there are other other kinds of categories that are coming to the fore or, or going into the background? I mean, for example, the, the Bailey Gifford Prize has, has certainly highlighted... How nature writing has has changed when you look, for example, at um, H by Helen Macdonald. I mean that that kind of was such an interesting hybrid, hard to categorise really as a book.
2: Oh, very hard to categorise as a book. I mean that that H is for Hawk has to be one of my favourite all time winners. I I have a very personal relationship with that book because I read it shortly after my own father had died, and um, and I think I. <sighs> Yes, you put your finger on something very interesting, certainly for me, because I think a lot of my very favourite non-fiction books are a blend of things. They're a blend of genres. They're quite hard to categorise. And I think that's one of the things that has changed, you know, in this drive for originality that that I some of the books that I read that I really love, I can't... And for the bookseller, I have to sort of put a category on it. And sometimes I really resist that because in, for me, the beauty is... The fact that you can't quite do that, and I think this use of nature writing memoir that you know that blend that Helen Macdonald achieved in that book has been enormously enormously influential. I think the other thing, just going back to what Andrew was characterising when he was talking about the kind of cradle to grave biography, I, I think it's also a function of. I I don't believe you can judge a book by how long it looks, you know, sometimes big fat books, you can absolutely rip through shorter books can, can be, you know, difficult to, to read. However, you know, I, I do think there is something about people being, you know, there's a lot of demands on people's time, more and more and more so maybe in the 25 years that this prize has been in existence. So, you have to really, really want to get to know a subject if uh, to read a real cradle to grave every single detail biography. You know, some biographies of great figures are three volumes. You know, and I, I, I really think. I, I mean, I like to feel that I bang the drum for the you know average reader walking into an independent bookshop, and I, I just think you know, actually these biographies where it's so interesting where you get these wonderful biographies, which they, they don't try and tell you every single thing that happened and the whole story. They'll pick a time in that subject's life or they'll partic- pick a particular incident that was, as as Andrea alluded to, with the pike, you know, that's not, you know, you learn an awful lot about D'Annunzio, but it's the, 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 the way in which it's told, the telling, the storytelling is really important. And this is, Really, what we mean by narrative nonfiction, and this is why the two terms fiction and nonfiction are so unhelpful. Because for me, you know, a book like *Ages for Hawk* or *Super Infinites, you know, they are—they do everything for you that that a novel can do, and they're, and
0: they're very close together. You know, that's a really interesting observation, Andrew. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, no, I yes, absolutely. And I think one other thing uh, that has happened uh, is the rise of the memoir and the rise of me you know uh in a digital age where everyone is presenting themselves uh on or, on uh digital media all the time um uh and you talk it, it's become very prevalent and uh if your know, publishers are always saying i've talked to lots of authors where they've had uh, been writing a book and the publisher has come back to and saying put more of yourself in put more of yourself in and uh that's happened you know even with the the rundle uh she's in there a lot uh you know it's about John Donne, but it's also partly about her um and uh, craig brown he 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 inserts himself uh in there as well in his conversation about uh, the beatles um uh so i think i think memoir is remains it's sort of what about the last five years caroline but uh, but it, it remains hugely uh influential and dominant uh well- at the
2: It it does, but I I feel myself, and it's interesting actually that really there are very very few of our Bailey Gifford winners where you could call it, you know, you could call it a memoir. I mean, H is is for Hawk is an outstanding example. Um, I I feel myself. I read a huge amount of memoir, and I do feel myself slightly reacting against it. Um, And that's not so that I don't love memoir because I do, but I feel like now. Because the world is the way it is. And because one of the reasons why nonfiction is so important, it's because it's a way of contextualising the world, understanding other people's lives. And, you know, um, so so we get this perspective on the world, you know, like Sally Hayden's My Fourth Time We Drowned that we shortlisted for the 2022 prize. Um, You you know, these things are tremendously important. So a memoir that does not somehow illuminate... You know, a wider canvas. Uh, I feel that I am less interested in generally, although that's not to say that an extraordinary memoir uh, couldn't, you know, shine through. But uh, but on the whole, I I feel like when you're when you're judging, certainly the whole scope of nonfiction, a memoir has to work really quite hard to be up there with books like I don't know East West Street, which is a an extraordinary synthesis of of history and personal history and memoir and it's it's these blends, you know, that are so many things at once. And they are, in my view, the hardest books to write. But when they're done brilliantly, I mean they just they stand out for miles for me.
0: Yeah, they they really do. Philippe Sands is who you are referring to, The East West Street. So um Caroline, you already have preempted my final question, which was really to get you to choose um, a, a, a book that that you really love on the over the twenty five years that has won. So, so for you, is it definitely uh, Helen Macdonald's book, Ages for Hawk?
2: Oh, must I just pick one?
0: Uh... <laughs> well. That's so funny. I'm I'm always remembering that. um, I don't think I'll ever forget it when Nick Hornby was on Desert Island Dis and with Sue Lawley presenting and she asked him what his luxury would be and he said an iPod, (laughs) which is just (laughs) so brilliant. (laughs) Yes,
2: quite so. Yes, H is for Hawk and East West Street by Philip Sands, as I've mentioned. Uh, I I was lucky enough to read that book very early on, so I, I feel... I was so I was so thrilled when both of those books won because they're books that I'd I'd loved from months before, you know. Um, and, and I just wanted to say also there are there were plenty of books on the on the list of winners that I haven't read and that I need to, including the Craig Brown. I I'd, I I guess I'd like to mention the Five by Hallie Rubenhold as well. Um, uh, it, it, extraordinary book and again very very influential in terms of forgotten females history female history and just the voices we don't hear from you know the 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 stories that are not told and you could you could um I could talk about the Sally Hayden in that respect but yes the five
0: I I also loved um Philip Hawes' Leviathan which was a an a really interesting and original mix of you know his own obsession with the ocean and swimming and obviously the whale um and Melville um I I thought that was a pretty um stellar book. Andrew what about you?
1: Well god uh, again I haven't read every single one of them but um it's terrible isn't it to pick the one you were, <laughs> you were chair of judges for <laughs> And I will be rooting for the Patrick Rudd and Keith for the uh, best of the 25 years. And if they don't win it, then frankly, they don't know what they're doing. But (laughs) no, I would, I would, Oh God. Do you know what? The one we haven't mentioned 1599, a year in the life of William Shakespeare by James Shapiro. That was such uh, to write about Shakespeare uh, uh, well, and to write uh, accessibly uh, is so difficult. And it's such a brilliant book. Uh, uh, it's so eye-opening about, and it's partly about them moving across the Thames and taking uh, all the, uh, the the planks with them to create a new um, theatre, the Globe. It's just he, he it, it, it's an astonishing book. I, I absolutely love that, and I, um, but and I love the Craig Brown as well. It was so funny and so original. But I'd go for uh, I'd go for the I'd go for the Shapiro.
0: Lovely. Thank you both, Andrew Holgate and Caroline Sanderson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd also like to thank the Blavatnik Family Foundation for its generous support of this podcast. Now, to find out more about the Bailey Gifford Prize, you can visit the website or follow us on Twitter if that's the kind of thing that you do, at BG Prize, If this episode has piqued your interest in the history of the prize, then you can find a 30-minute documentary on our website too. I'll see you next episode when some of the judges will be gathering to discuss the shortlist for the 25th anniversary winner of winners, which uh, Andrew has just been mentioning, which aims to pick the best of the prize's previous recipients. The award will be announced on the 27th of April at an event held at the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. Till the next time. Bye bye. Read Smart, the Bailey Gifford Prize for Nonfiction podcast. This podcast is generously supported by the Blavatnik Family Foundation.